the Ross Sea is widely regarded as one of the most pristine marine ecosystems left in the world. Decisions over its management are worked out at the Commission for the Conservation of Antarctic Marine Living Resources, or CAMLA. 24 countries and the European Union make up the organisation, and for any decisions over a marine reserve to progress, consensus is required. As New Zealand's former ambassador to Russia, Stuart Pryor, explains, achieving that marine protected area, or MPA, is proving impossible. The Ross Sea MPA was an idea which was developed essentially without Russian participation. It was an idea that was um, evolved from uh, two projects, one put forward by the US, one by New Zealand, and Russia simply felt excluded from the process. It's not just Russia either. Ukraine is also against a reserve. These proposals should be deeper investigated. They should be in more progressive research and they need to be ranged more comprehensively. So why are the two countries blocking the reserve? I'm Olivia Wicks and I travelled to Hobart to watch as negotiations were held for a third time in an effort to secure protection for an important marine area. This insight asks if the Ross Sea will ever be protected. When you arrive here at the Kamla building, it's just as grandiose as you'd expect. Located in the centre of Hobart, the building is a large brown bricked old schoolhouse dating back to the 1840s. It looks like a small castle. Flags of each of the member countries line the outside of the gates. But that's as much as the public and media will ever see. The building and its meeting rooms are only open to diplomats and non-governmental organisations in order to allow the negotiations to be conducted in private. Public and private negotiations took place, but to no avail. On the fifth and final day of the meeting, New Zealand and the United States admitted defeat. While he had been hoping for the best, the result didn't surprise the United States head negotiator, Evan Bloom. We um, have been trying for now many years to try to um, have this uh, marine protected area in the Ross Sea, and we put a lot of work into it, and uh, obviously we'd like to have better results than we had. The Ross Sea is the southernmost stretch of ocean on the planet. It's about 3,000 kilometers below New Zealand, lapping at the icy shores of Antarctica. New Zealand has been pushing for a marine protected area for the Ross Sea since Kamla suggested it in 2005. The first proposal was given to the annual meeting in 2009. So why should the Ross Sea be protected? It's an easy answer for Peter Young. His love for Antarctica began 20 years ago when he worked as a dishwasher at the Americans' McMurdo base. He travelled back to the continent in 2006 to film what would become the Last Ocean documentary. Just because it is so remote doesn't make it any less important to the world. As the most pristine marine ecosystem on Earth, it is definitely worth protecting for that reason alone. It's got incredible biodiversity. The waters of the Ross Sea are the most productive waters in the Southern Ocean. So it teems with wildlife. And when you put it in global context, and when you look at the oceans worldwide and you see the the sad state that they are in, these last places become so important. The Ross Sea is regarded as a living laboratory. Although it only accounts for 3.3% of the Southern Ocean, its waters are home to 40 species found nowhere else on Earth. But the Ross Sea is also a commercial fishery. 
Last year, ships from 12 different nations broke through the sheet ice to hunt for krill and toothfish. Krill is caught by Russia and Ukraine for fish oil supplements. Toothfish is targeted by a range of countries. It's a delicacy served in high-end restaurants under the name Chilean sea bass. When caught, toothfish are usually about a metre long and weigh at least 100 kilograms. It sells for about $50 a kilogram, making it a very profitable fishery. And while New Zealand is campaigning to protect the ocean, it was New Zealand who first began fishing legally back in 1996. Stuart Pryor, who was the head of the Antarctic Unit at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade when that decision was made, says legalising fishing caused more problems than solutions. After the 1999 uh, meeting of Camelot, the, the fishery was opened up much more uh, broadly than uh, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd hoped. And as a result, several other countries got involved. And then the gold rush mentality, which had uh, characterised the development of toothfish fishing around the continent, simply took over. Since then, figures from the National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research indicate toothfish numbers have fallen about 20%. Shostakovich's The Gadfly, played by the Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra, greeted diplomats on the first day of negotiations. The romantic score is often heard in Russian films and television shows, punctuating scenes where someone is tempted by or gives in to what the audience would consider as the right thing. And that's why the environmental groups chose it. Russia has blocked the Ross Sea Marine Reserve at three different sets of negotiations, the only country to have done so. The Russian delegation refused to be interviewed by Radio New Zealand for this programme, but a few hours after the meeting ended, Russia's state fishing ministry released a statement saying why it was opposed to the marine protected area. These are the ministry's words translated. The area includes the region of the fish harvesting in the Ross Sea and also the duration of the MPA proposed as from 50 to 100 years. Uh, doesn't include the idea of the regular review maybe once at five or ten years uh, just to see the effectiveness of uh, the regime of MPA and also the possible scientific uh, researches uh, is made only by the uh, countries participants of the Calamar that are the proponents of the MPA that's why there is a kind of discrimination of the rest of the countries so because New Zealand and America have done the science that's discriminating towards the other countries. Yes. Those three concerns have been raised consistently over the past year as the three sets of negotiations took place. The first meeting was held at Kamla's headquarters in Hobart last October. New Zealand and the United States went in with separate proposals for protecting the Ross Sea. America's was very conservation-focused, while New Zealand's allowed for some fishing. Midway through the meeting, they merged proposals. Their joint plan allowed for 2.2 million square kilometres of the Ross Sea to be protected. Fishing would be banned in 1.6 million square kilometres of that area. Russia, Ukraine and China blocked the reserve, but it looked like some movement was possible. So, for the first time, Kamla called a special meeting to hear the matter. That was held in the German city of Bremerhaven in July this year. Diplomats had no idea what was in store. Instead of progress, Russia and Ukraine questioned whether a marine reserve could even be created. 
The then chair of Kamla, Norway's Terhe Labak, took the unusual step of holding a media conference to explain the problem. Many lawyers in the room actually spoke against uh, the suggestion, definitely said that uh, Kamala has the power to, or the mandate, to also to establish NPAs in the RSCs. Russia was not impressed and blocked the reserve for a second time, Stuart Pryor explains. The Russians uh, felt they were uh, very badly dealt to uh, and uh, felt that there were national interests and principles which... Uh, which overrode the uh, arguments uh, in favour of uh, the Ross Sea MPA, which had been developed within Camelot. Dr Chris Jones is the chair of Camelot's scientific committee. Scientists from each of the countries meet the week before negotiations and make recommendations over any proposals. At the same media briefing, Dr Jones warned that changes to fishing in the reserve would be needed for the reserve to pass. Examining areas that are cl- currently closed to fishing and the possibility of opening up those up uh, for research fishing, so as a, as a, a means to um, demonstrate that there's not not an effort to exec- to exclude fishing from the uh, convention area. And that happened. The United States and New Zealand came up with a new proposal, resulting in 1.34 million square kilometres of the Ross Sea being protected, with research fishing allowed. But that still wasn't enough to convince Russia at the latest Hobart meeting. New Zealand's head negotiator, Carolyn Schwalger, says some progress over the whole concept of marine protection agreements was made. This meeting was different from last year's meeting or the special meeting that we had in Bremerhaven um, because at that time we um, saw that other members perhaps had some procedural or um, I guess kind of legal doubts about the role of Camilla to do MPAs. And what we saw at this meeting was that they, those doubts seem to have passed. So we engaged on substance. We worked through both of the proposals, the Ross Sea one and also the East Antarctic MPA proposal, and we made some really good progress. The Minister of Foreign Affairs, Murray McCulley, was also pleased to see the Russian delegation's honesty. The good news was that the Russian contingent engaged in some detail with us. We've got an active and honest conversation going on there, so we've made some progress and I'm hopeful we can make some more. There are annual meetings of the um, Camelar Group um, and and we'll be working towards getting an agreement to the next one. We've made clear that we want to engage and address any of the reasonable concerns that countries have got. It's fair to say that um, one of the difficulties with some countries was that they were expressing doubt without engaging and identifying specific concerns. Uh, We've now been able to get into that level of discussion and we've also been able to address some of the issues that were raised by the Science Committee of Camelot and I've been trying to persuade other countries that they should do what we're doing, try and base the final package on the science uh, and what the scientists tell us because that's, um, I think, the best basis for getting agreement. Stuart Pryor, who pushed for fishing winner MFAT, also has a rare insight into the decisions of the Russians. He was New Zealand's ambassador to Russia between 2003 and 2006 and today runs a business promoting trade with that nation. He says Russia is wary of any protection of commons resources. Russia at the moment is very, very sensitive to questions involving sovereignty and access to resources in the Arctic and the case of Greenpeace and the Arctic Sunrise uh, is simply highlights the, the interest, uh, the national state interests of Russia which are engaged 
uh, in uh, these questions of resources and access to um, sort of the polar regions. Now, while the political regime of the Antarctic is, is different from that of the uh, North Polar or Arctic regions, uh, many of the same questions about uh, resource exploitation uh, are now at the forefront. Julia Jabour, a professor of ocean and Antarctic governance at the University of Tasmania, agrees. She says Russia doesn't believe areas should be closed to fishing. Scientific committee will have to convince the Kamala Commission members that these areas need closing because stocks are low, resources are low, or because they don't know the status of the stock. Gary Myers is an expert in international environmental law and works as a professor at the University of Tasmania. He says one of the struggles for New Zealand and the United States is realising how important krill is to the Russians. Human consumption okay, uh, is, is a critical aspect of every environmental regime, whether domestic or international, how we consume resources and the extent to which we consume resources. If we hadn't bought into the notion that we should all be taking krill pills, we probably wouldn't be having this discussion. The USA's head negotiator, Evan Bloom, believes the science provided to back up the reserve proposals is strong. We uh, revised our proposal on the basis of scientific advice. There has been no uh, further scientific advice indicating that we need to uh, degrade or diminish the proposal. So I think uh, right now we have a very good place to stop and try to uh, convince others that we've come to the right place. Russia's other bugbear is how long the reserve should remain in place. It's not uncommon for international environmental agreements to have a review clause within them. And the executive secretary of Kamla, Andrew Wright, says it will enforce a review time frame if and when any deal is met. It is important that there is periodic review uh, to enable the Commission and the Scientific Committee to review information that becomes available uh, relating to um, whether or not the, the MPA is achieve, achieving its objectives in the light of changes that might occur in the environment as part of natural processes or due to other reasons such as fishing. An academic, Gary Myers, says sunset clauses do work in the short term. They work to gain consensus, yes. And so if what you want is action today, then yes, sunset clauses are useful. But you are, in a sense, projecting out into the future so that you don't know what circumstances will present themselves in 10 or 20 years. There may come a time, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, we don't know when we need that resource for whatever reason. People's lives depend upon it. We need the we need the grill. We need the fish. We, uh, you know, and environmental protection takes a backseat to the arguably legitimate concerns of nation states to provide for the health, welfare, and safety of their citizens. The Antarctic Ocean Alliance is an umbrella group for environmental organisations. As New Zealand spokesperson Jeff Key has been at all three rounds of negotiations. He says the group is deeply uncomfortable about the possibility of a sunset clause. Marine protected areas are to be protected in perpetuity. They're, that's important. You know, where they're, they're not fisheries management tools where you might sort of open and close them as you need to. These are designed to protect areas in perpetuity for humanity. 
but Kemla is just that, an organisation tasked with the management of the Southern Ocean's fisheries. Fishing was in fact the reason the organisation came into force in 1982, because of increasing interest in the krill fishery. Fourteen countries were signatories, now 35 make up the organisation. Delegates meet each year in Hobart and all decisions are made by consensus. That's no surprise either. Most international environmental organisations or treaties, like the International Whaling Commission and the Antarctic Treaty, make progress by agreement. The Antarctic Governance Professor Julia Jabour explains. If they agree, there's more chance of compliance. If you have decisions forced upon you, and you do in majority decision-making because uh, it's maybe three-quarters majority, so one-quarter of the parties to that decision didn't want it. Therefore, it's imposed on them. Therefore, getting compliance is going to be a problem. The Antarctic Ocean Alliance's Jeff Key says the decision on the reserve is so important there has to be agreement. But he admits that gets frustrating at times. Things come up and they get knocked back and we, they come up again. And the key to that is persistence and communication. You know, the, us, those of us who are campaigning and the, and the governments inside who are kind of putting forward proposals just have to be persistent, we have to hold in there and we have to have really good lines of communication to those who are unsure. Professor Gary Myers says all those negotiations do, however, have negative connotations. The downside of consensus decision-making is something that a lot of commentators have identified. It's not particularly new, but it's the tendency, tendency to go towards the lowest common denominator that everybody can agree to at that particular time. So you end up with weaker provisions, weaker protection regimes, the documentary filmmaker Peter Young says consensus won't be a problem forever. It's a double-edged sword. It's a good thing and it's a bad thing. And once you get everyone on board, these policies get through and they are very robust. And in that political environment, at some stage, Russia and Ukraine are going to want to propose their, I guess, ideas for other areas or issues around Antarctica. And they're not going to get supported very well when they're holding out uh, on the, the Ross Sea. So I guess it's all um, part and parcel of international politics. Kamla's executive secretary, Andrew Wright, also defends the use of consensus decision-making. Some people view consensus decision-making as holding up progress because it takes a long time to work through issues. But generally, when an organisation that uses consensus-based decision-making as, uh, as its means for uh, agreeing to a way to move forward, has worked through the issues in detail, and so all members of the organisation are confident and comfortable with the eventual decision. While there is agreement on using consensus, many are finding fault with the organisation and its handling of the reserve plans. Peter Young says the organisation isn't doing enough. If we cannot protect the Ross Sea, if Kamla cannot protect the Ross Sea, then you'd have to say, what on earth is Kamla doing? This is an organisation that was set up to conserve Antarctica's marine living resources, and if they can't do that, then what can they do? With meetings occurring behind closed doors and a gagging order preventing anyone from talking, Stuart Pryor, the former ambassador, believes the way the organisation operates is part of the reason Russia is blocking the reserve. Mr Pryor believes higher level negotiations with more senior politicians are needed. I don't think that 
it is possible to continue um, uh, with the current Camelar process. I think that the idea that New Zealand and the United States can you know, make a, a very wide-ranging proposal for the Ross Sea and then go round to others and simply present it as a fait accompli, uh, I don't think that is, is the way forward. I think the engagement has to be at a much higher level in capitals uh, and uh, all the issues of policy and strategy which uh, are fundamental to the Antarctic Treaty uh, and the Antarctic Treaty system, including questions uh, about sovereignty, Treaty. I think all those now have to be you know, part of the discussion on the table. So, what is in it for New Zealand? Why is the government continuing to push for this reserve? At what risk? And why should the taxpayers continue to bear the brunt of consistent lobbying and overseas trips? This is how Murray McCulley responded. We uh, have, for a long time now, over 50 years, been a partner in the Antarctic Treaty. We have been a very active player, some would say a leader in the Camelar process, where the rules of engagement have been set out. The New Zealand government believes that we've got to find the right balance between the interests of science, conservation and fisheries for the future in a very big piece of ocean. And we need to get 25 countries to agree, and that's what we're trying to do. Not wholly successfully yet, but we're making progress. Evan Bloom from the United States delegation says America's continuing to push for the reserve because of science. The Ross Sea is a unique area on the planet. Um, it's a very special ecosystem. Uh, it's an area uh, far from most uh, uh, human contact and uh, it's a very good place to conduct science. So there are a lot of good reasons for protecting the Ross Sea. But Professor Julia Jabour believes it is much more than that. I think this is a cultural thing with New Zealand. I think New Zealand, um, firstly, are very environmentally aware and I think that they feel this is a really good thing to be doing. Also, the Ross Sea area, as you know, is a, um, a claimed territory of New Zealand. So, to some extent, they're, they're protecting their future potential rights to resources in the Ross Sea area. Professor Gary Myers says at the end of the day, it all comes down to reputation. For those countries that are supporting the, the various marine protected areas, um, that's the big benefit for them, to be seen as good international citizens and to be seen as good international environmental citizens as well uh, in terms of protecting very important resources. There may, depending upon the science and depending upon the economics, there may be other benefits that flow from protecting these areas given their importance globally in terms of the biodiversity that they contain and in terms of the species that they support. There may be flow-on effects in terms of uh, increased harvestable resources outside the marine protected areas. So there may be some economic benefits as well. The diplomat Stuart Pryor says any gains will be very significant. Looking at New Zealand through, uh, if you like, a northern hemisphere lens, you see that um, agriculture and food are one of our main claims to fame on the world stage. And a second claim to fame is actually uh, our involvement in the Antarctic and the fact that we are a polar power and the fact that in some ways uh, Antarctica is our New Zealand space program is indicative of the fact that we have a role uh, to play in 
if you like, uh, showing to the rest of the world how important the protection and conservation of this continent is. Despite three failed rounds of negotiations, there was no debate about whether there would be a fourth attempt. The answer from New Zealand's head negotiator, Carolyn Schwalger, was, of course. It would never be the end, I don't think. I mean, the government has said very clearly we're committed to um, this initiative. It's too important. And, um, you know, of course, we'll have to go back and regroup and think about what our next steps are. But, um, you know, I'll have a discussion with the minister, but, you know, I'm sure we're committed to the fight. That attempt will happen in Hobart in October or November next year. So what work needs to be done by then? Evan Bloom from the United States delegation says it will continue to be one step at a time. A diplomacy continues uh, intercessionally and we'll be working with New Zealand, in particular New Zealand government, uh, to try to figure out how to take this forward. So this isn't the end? No, I don't think it's the end. Uh, as with any... A uh, big international project, sometimes uh, it takes many years to reach the result and um, that's not uncommon with big international conventions or negotiations, so we need to continue to work hard. When do you give up? Why would we give up? It's a really important goal and there's uh, no reason to, to think that way. That will please the non-governmental organisations who've been there every step of the way. Their members were so upset at the failure of the most recent talks that they held signs with pictures of sad faces in way of silent protest. If some of the anxiety that some countries clearly have about marine protected areas can be resolved, then there's no bar at all to a Ross Sea marine protected area. I don't think that more concessions are needed. Um, the sort of the underlying anxiety that some countries appear to have needs to be resolved. That could be done in a year. It might take three. But and there is a history of this institution, you know, taking its time to come to decisions, but but getting there in the end. And um, and I think you know the the conservation movement is quite persistent. We um, we know there's a lot of people who want this, and so we'll just keep going for it. Peter Young hopes New Zealand doesn't give up. We try again because it's the right thing to do. Just because there's a bit of a fight doesn't mean you turn around and you throw the towel in. That's not the New Zealand way. It's not the way to do anything. What we are asking is, is, is a big ask and it's a wonderful ask. And anything as big and grand as that is going to take a fight. And we shouldn't have entered that fight if we weren't prepared to stick it out till the end. We owe it to the work that's gone in before and we owe it to future generations. What direction officials take will only be known this time next year. I'm Olivia Wicks and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight.